we just thank you for this time together. You know, Father, I, you, I don't believe in coincidences, and I know everything that you have for us, you supernaturally orchestrate it. And so we just believe that tonight is a, an appointment uh, that's on your calendar. It's on your iPhone. It's on your uh, iCloud. <laughs> and uh, we thank you that we've synchronized with your agenda for tonight. We thank you that we're just coming in just with open hearts and open minds, ready to receive mouths wide open to taste your goodness and receive more <clears throat> of, of truth, the truth that sets us free, the truth that, that uh, causes us to experience more of Jesus. And uh, Lord, we're just so thankful for you. We are so thankful for you, Jesus. You are so amazing. You're so awesome. Words don't seem to really give you the right uh, place uh, in our, when I, when I even say them, Lord, what words, what words can I, can I even use to describe your goodness and your glory and your power and your splendor and your majesty? You are indescribably good. You are indescribably powerful. You're indescribably full of splendor. And so, Lord, you just, yeah, just, we just praise you tonight. We glorify you tonight. And so, Lord, I thank you that every person here, you, you've been thinking about them. You are mindful of them. You are so involved in their thoughts and their life and every single detail. And I, I just thank you that you're, you're just doing something in their lives that is just incredibly amazing right now. And so we just come into agreement with what you're doing in each and every person's life right now, Lord. And we just say blessings on that. We just say yes and amen to that move of God that is happening in everyone's life. And we say yes and amen to what you've got planned tonight. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. I just did a, one of my YouTube teachings. Um, we filmed this last week uh, on, um, <clears throat> on this, and it's a really simple scripture. Uh, we've read it a lot of, a lot of times, I mean, and I'm going to read it actually in the Passion Translation. And if you don't have the Passion Translation by Brian Simmons, I really recommend that you invest in that, especially those of you that are just really in this place of just wanting to know God intimately and experientially and all of those things, which is totally not uncommon for people to connect <laughs> those people to me <laughs> because I always kind of say I'm an intimacy expert in the kingdom. Uh, I'm kind of like the marriage counselor between Jesus and his bride. And uh, I'm restoring intimacy and uh, uh, bringing people into union <laughs> and communion with God. And uh, I just personally believe, I think even the name, the Passion Translation, there's just something about that that just gets your blood going, you know. And Brian has such an, a beautiful story if you actually read about him and his wife. And uh, it's a really missionaries and just kind of a, bringing the Bible and translating the Bible into dialects that um, no English translation had ever been done. And so it's got a really interesting history as well. But he, um, the reason I love the Passion Translation so much is because it, ha it has said that the language is so union-focused. And if you follow my teaching for more than five minutes, 
uh, and I say that a lot, you're going to know that pretty much all of my sermons end up in one place. Okay, I'm going to talk about a million different things, but they're going to all pretty much consummate in the truth that we are one with God. And the reason why my assignment is so very simple, (laughs) yet so very um, profound at the same time, uh, and also very timely, is because, like kind of Caleb was talking about too, I mean, there is a foundation in the church in this hour that needs to be restored. Uh, because we uh, can grow up in church our entire life, raise my hand, and never, ever really relate to God as though we're one with him. And we, we will worship from a place of separation. We will read our Bible from a place of separation. We will parent from a place of separation. We will uh, preach the gospel from a place of separation. Uh, I mean, everything in our life will come out of this, this illusion, this deception that we are somehow separated from God. Or, and there's all kinds of doctrines that come around this too. I mean, it's, you know, this idea that, you know, you're only forgiven when you confess your sins. We take scriptures out of, out of, out of the context of union, out of the context of the Bible, and we try to make sense of them. And, and you can't. You cannot, you cannot understand the Bible properly outside of the context of union. I mean, this is the message that Jesus preached. I mean, when he went into John 14, and I, I preach it, but I'm going to say it again, that when he said, in my father's house are many mansions, you know, we think that he's preaching a message about the afterlife and about you and I, you know, living in uh, some, you know, multi-billion, million-dollar home. And I'm not saying that we're not going to get there and there's going to be incredible riches and we're not going to all have 50 mansions. I'm not physical mansion. I'm not spiritual, whatever they are. But what I'm saying is that's not what he was saying. (laughs) He was saying, in my father's body. You know, the house has always been a picture in Jesus' ministry of a body, of a body. You know, when he talks about deliverance, he's like a demon, leaves the house, right? And then it, then it returns and finds it swept clean. I mean, it destroy this temple in three days and I'll rise it back up. So this house, this, this idea of a house is the father's body. And in the father's body, in the father's heart, there are many mansions. Some translations say rooms. Some translations say dwelling places. But in the father's house, there, there's a place. And then he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Meaning you're going to have a place in my father's body. You're going you're to dwell inside the father. You're not going to know the father just because you hear about the Father. You're not going to know the Father just because you read the Bible about the Father. You're going to know the Bible because you live and move and have your being inside of the Father, and you have access to the Father from the inside out. And you're going to do that because I am the way and I am the truth. And no one's going to get to him except through me because I'm the door. And I'm the door where? To the Father's heart. I'm the door to the Father's body. I am the door that you're going to walk through. You're going to go through me. And you're going to dwell in a mansion. You're going to dwell in this place that that I personally prepared for you. Right? And that is just one example of how we take a scripture and interpret it in some kind of crazy way, because we don't understand that Jesus is talking about that he came to earth to restore not just relationship. It's a specific kind of relationship. It's the most intimate relationship. 
It's, it's, it's a marriage relationship. It's a, it's a becoming one relationship. It is a, it's a consummation of a union with God. And when you begin to read the scriptures through the lens of union, it's the only way they actually make sense. I mean, because before I really, uh, you know, got a handle on this myself, you know, I really couldn't understand righteousness. You know, I thought I had this, I thought I was, I was, um, I was made in the image of God, right? So I'm, I'm like, let's say, Ray, you're going to be God for a minute, right? And so I'm made in the image of Ray, right? And so I look like Ray. I'm made to function like Ray, right? I, I'm, I'm, I'm righteous like Ray because I was made in his image. I was recreated. But see, it's not that. It's not I'm made in Ray's image apart from Ray. <laughs> so I've got this righteousness that's like Ray's righteousness. Or I've got, I'm like Ray. I mean, yes, I'm like Ray. But the truth is, I'm in Ray. <laughs> so my righteousness is my righteousness because it's his righteousness because that's where I am. I'm in him. There's no my righteousness apart from his righteousness. That's why there's no condemnation for me because I'm in Ray. I'm in God. I'm in Christ. And so there's no guilty verdict. Why? Because I'm in there. My life is hidden inside of God. I'm complete inside of God. I'm holy inside of God. I am perfect inside of God. I lack nothing. All things are mine inside of God. I'm a joint heir with Jesus inside of Jesus. So nothing, we we somehow received what Jesus did from us, did for us, but still lived like we are still separate from Jesus. Do you see what I'm saying? And so this foundation, what it does is it leaks religion. It leaks performance. It leaks works. It leaks the the fruit of separation, okay, is is, is tasty, tastes terrible because it's human effort, you know. And so the, the, the foundation of the gospel has got to be restored. Uh, so that we don't worship to find God. We're not, we're not worshiping in the throner. I mean, and guys, there are so many ministries and so much teaching and so many things that are out there right now um, that, are, that enforce that perspective, in, in, enforce the illusion of separation, right? I mean, we, we teach our worship leaders that it's their job to, to get usher the people into the presence of God. But that's the way we, that's the way we teach people right? You know, and then, my goodness, we get into worship, right? And hallelujah, I'm in the throne room. I made it to the throne room. I'm in the presence of God. Oh, we're in the presence of God. We're, 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 there he is, seated on the throne, like one that looks as though he's a man. You know, we're there. And again, I, I'm not trying to be dishonoring. I'm just saying you're still outside. You're still, you're experiencing God from a separated perspective. No wonder we feel unworthy. No wonder, because we're trying to climb up, and thankfully, okay, we're washing the blood, okay, so the blood has made me worthy to stand here, but you're worthy because you're in there, <laughs> right? And, 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 and then there's this whole aspect of the Trinity, right, where, where we, we experience God uh, in not necessarily three people, and we don't even know that we're, he's one, of course, but we're, we're communing with one versus the other, and, and we don't have this full revelation that because we're in Christ, well, Jesus and the Father are one, 
<laughs> right? And so therefore, I mean, that really blows your mind. Like finally when you start to say like, okay, I'm in Christ. I can get this thing. I've got union with Jesus. But then you start to recognize, wait, 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 wait. This means I'm actually in union with the Father. Well, this is the guy that said, let there be light. I mean, this is the guy. I mean, you know, there's something. Sometimes we think Jesus is like subservient to the Father, rather. You know, rather than being one with the Father. Like there's a hierarchy in the Trinity, right? Rather than a perfect fellowship and communion of one, right? And so that whole foundation of the gospel is, has to be restored, uh, and because there will be a distortion in every other doctrine until it is, you know, Jesus is the cornerstone, right? He's the cornerstone of the, and, and it, we can worship Jesus apart from Jesus, but that is not the gospel. The gospel is a story about Jesus entering into humanity about the incarnation on the cross and him assuming the, the curse, him becoming not just our sins and forgiving our sins, but literally becoming sin, like the sin nature of Adam, absorbing that into himself. He destroyed sin. He destroyed death. Through his burial and resurrection, the the creation, new a new creation. It was a, it was a it was as powerful as Genesis one. I mean, people are coming out of the graves. There's earthquakes. Why? Because it is finished. It is finished. I mean, that was that was what I was teaching on my YouTube video. It was a long way around to get to the, the scripture that I was going to, but it was it was this this scripture when Jesus said, "It is finished." And that's in John 19. I'm going to read it out of the Passion Translation because I love what Brian Simmons caught. And I don't know of anyone else in any other translation yet that has explained it so beautifully. But here's what he says in verse 28. It says, Jesus knew that his mission was accomplished. Okay, so he's hanging on the cross. Let me back up a little bit before then just because... It's powerful, right? So Mary, Jesus' mother, was standing next to his cross along with Mary's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So there's two Marys, Mary, Jesus' mother, Mary's sister, Mary. And so there's three Marys, okay? There's three Marys. That's That's incredible. Three Marys standing next to his cross. And so when Jesus looked down and saw the disciple he loved, John, standing with her, he said, Mother, look, John will be a son to you. Then he said, John, look, she will be a mother to you. And from that day on, John accepted Mary into his home and was one of his own family. In verse 28, Jesus knew that his mission was accomplished. And to fulfill the scripture, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting nearby, and so they soaked a sponge with it and put it on the stalk of hyssop and raised it to his lips. It says, when he had sipped the sour wine, he said, it is finished, my bride. Then bowed his head and surrendered his spirit to God. Now, most translations of that scripture just, you know, just translate, it's an, it's an Aramaic word, 
and it's the word kala, K-A-L-A-H, okay, that is translated finished in most translations. So Jesus speaking Aramaic says it is finished with this word kala, or, you know, I don't even know if I'm saying it right, kala, right, K-A-L-A-H. But kala, or kala, is an interesting word. It's actually what we call a homonym. And if you don't know what a homonym is, we, we use them all the time. It's a word that can have multiple meanings, same word, and sometimes have multiple spellings. So a really simple example of a homonym is the number two or just the word two. It's not always the number two, right? Because it, it can be spelled T-W-O, and that refers to a, a, a number, the number two. It can be T-O, right? which is used like, you know, we're going to the store, right? So that's not we're, not, we're not going to the number two store. We're going, another spelling, T-O. And then the last way you can use the word to is T-O-O, right? So it's an adjective. This is too much, right? It's not T-W-O much. It's not T-O much. It's T-O-O. Same word, three different spellings, three different meanings, Right? Well, this Aramaic word, kala, K-A-L-A-H, is the same way. It's a homonym. And it can mean fulfilled or completed or finished, right? It is fulfilled. It's completed. It is finished. But it also means bride. And so Brian pulls this out and combines both, both of those concepts in his translation. So when he says it is finished, he says, it is finished, my bride, right? And so <laughs> even on the cross, the cross is a picture of union. And not just in the final words that Jesus spoke, it, the cross is, is this, this is a mysterious mystery that you and I, Paul, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, right? In Romans, it says, you know, uh, let me just, in fact, there's so many scriptures I could go to. Let me go to Colossians. I'm going to go to Colossians again in the Passion just because I love it so much. There's so many places I could go. Uh, but let's go to Colossians. Um, the thing I also really like about the Passion, I feel like I'm, you know, selling Bibles for Brian Simmons here, but um, I get no commission whatsoever off the cell of the Passion Translation. But um, is that it reads like kind of you read a normal book. So you can sit down and read a whole book of the Bible because honestly, the books of the Bible are not that big. They're really small. (laughs) But because they're sometimes in such, you know, ancient language or translations that just is not how we talk. You know, sometimes it feels like it's just laborious to read a whole... Well, you want me to read Ephesians in one night? Oh, you know, this seems like it's a, that's going to be difficult. But with this translation, it's not. It's like, okay, I'm going to read 10 pages of a book. You know, it's not so laborious. But this is from Colossians chapter 3. And what I'm, where I am 
is I'm on this idea that this union began at the cross. Now, if you read John, the book of John, okay, 14 is where he's saying, in my father's house there's many mansions, right? By se- and he says down there, if you've seen me, you've seen the father, Philip. Have I been with you so long that you don't recognize that? And he says, and in that day, you'll know that I'm in the father and the father's in me. So there's union language all throughout John 14. Then he gets over to John 17. And this is where he's, this is what I call the Lord's prayer because it's his final prayer to be glorified and that he's finished the father's work. He defines what eternal life is, that my message is not some afterlife message, although, of course, you know, it includes that. But, you know, eternal life is to know you, the one true God, and to know Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. He defines what eternal life is. Then he starts going down in there, and he says, Father, I pray that they, they might be in, where, where in me as I am in you. And then it even goes as far to say, so that the world will know that you sent me. He's, I mean, he's basically saying this message of union is how the world is actually even going to believe that you're real, that I'm real. You know, so he, it's just, just laced with union. And then, so then the cross, it has finished my bride, right? Well, here, let me just, this is, this is um, the, the uh, Colossians chapter three, verse one. And this is Paul, this is Paul's message. Paul's message was a revealing of the gospel. You know, the disciples really didn't understand what was going on when they were hearing it while Jesus was alive. I mean, their minds were just, I think, so blown. I know if it had been us and we were in the middle of a religious sacrificial system where, you know, just so foreign, you're expecting a, a king that's coming in glory. You're not expecting a a carpenter born in a manger. You're not expecting a spiritual kingdom. You're not expecting a spiritual victory over, over Caesar. You're expecting a, 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 a war. You're expecting a, king, a natural kingdom to be established, for Israel to be reestablished like in the days of David and the days of Solomon. You're not expecting. You just you didn't have a grid. You had no grid for the way that the prophecies that had been spoken over Jesus were actually going to be fulfilled. I mean, there was, you know, there was just so much, so many paradigms from the, you know, the years of religious law that they had projected onto who the Messiah was going to be. And so I have a lot of grace for these disciples because I don't know if I was there, I would have got it, you know. But Paul, Paul was an incredible scholar. I mean, if you read in Philippians, I mean, he is a, a Hebrew of Hebrews, right? I mean, this guy was brilliant, right? I mean, and he was defending the, the, the law, you know, killing Christians, standing by while, while they're put in jail. But it was God. And this is so interesting to me because Paul even says that it pleased the Father to reveal Christ in him. So there was this revealing of Christ inside, from inside of Paul to Paul. <laughs> and so Paul started to catch a clue and then, he, you know, he's visiting the third heaven. And so he said, this, the revelation of the gospel, I didn't receive from any man. I got this directly from Jesus Christ. And the revelation he got is that we, you, me, all of us in this room, were on the cross. You know, I wasn't born yet. You weren't born yet. Nobody in this room was born when Jesus was crucified. But yet somehow we were on there with him. And so when he was saying, it is finished, my bride, I mean, this was for the bride of Christ throughout all, all ages. And here's what Paul says in Colossians 3. He said, Christ's resurrection from the dead 
is your resurrection too. Okay, let's just stop there. Now, we think of this sometimes in terms of symbolism, uh, in terms of the- theory. Like there's a, it's a theory. Like it's a, it's a theoretical resurrection. Uh, it's a, it, we haven't really thought about the ramifications of what that can actually mean even in this life. We think it's a resurrection from the dead sometime in the future, Right? But here's what Paul says. He says, Christ's resurrection from the dead is your resurrection too. This is why we are to yearn for all that is above. For that's where Christ sits, enthroned in the place of all power, honor, and authority. Yes, feast on all the treasures of the heavenly realm and fill your thoughts with heavenly realities and not with the distractions of the natural realm. So I want to stop here for a second because he's not talking about something we're going to experience in the afterlife. He's talking about right now. That because Christ's resurrection from the dead is our resurrection too, that our desire, our yearning should be for what is above, meaning what is in heaven. And he says, feast on the treasures of the heavenly realm. When? When we get there? No, now that we can feast on the treasures of heaven right now and we are to fill our thoughts with heavenly realities. Right now, right now, heaven is is here right now. Yes, it's a future reality, but it's a right now reality in the same way that the cross was a right then reality and you were there right then. I mean, you were there, and, and, and you, are, you are there. <laughs> I mean, there is, there is this reality of us somehow vicariously being connected to Jesus at the crucifixion, at the resurrection, and now while he is seated, and this is a reality, and we are to fill our thoughts with this reality. And here's what it says here. It says, your crucifixion with Christ has severed the tie to this life. Right, And now your true life is hidden away in God as you live within the anointed one. And every time Christ is seen for who he really is, who you really are will also be revealed. For you are now one with him in his glory. Like I'm saying, if you just took those four little verses and meditated on those, how much would your life be transformed just by four passages of the true gospel? Just the, just, just incredible. It, it, it's, it's mind boggling. It's revolutionary. This is And every time you read it, it's almost like you read it for the first time because it's like a rabbit hole that just goes deeper and the revelation just goes deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And it transforms everything. (laughs) I say this all the time. Our union with God transforms everything. It transforms everything. I, I mean, the only... Every thought that we have apart from God is a delusional thought. Every thought that we have 
that is somehow, we even think it's an independent thought. You know, I mean, you are in Christ. I'm not saying that we don't have our own mind, we don't have our own, I'm not saying those things, but I'm saying it's a delusion that we're separated. It is an illusion. It is, it is, it's a deception. It's a deception. And the ramifications of this, here's the thing. I like what John Crowder said. He's like, it's like you pulled a, a string on a sweater and you didn't really mean to, but now the whole thing's unraveling. <laughs> you know, and now you're just standing there naked and unashamed because, because that's, I added that, but I bet by the time you're, you know, it's, it's just because it unravels every religious notion, every, uh, formula, uh, that, that we have been taught about our connection with God. And then I, and you just keep reading. I mean, it just keeps going on. You know, so consider your life in this natural realm is already dead and buried. You know, it's like live like the afterlife is now. Live like the afterlife is now. Yeah, live like heaven has, you're already there. Because guess what? You are. Yeah. And so all, so you're saying, so Shalice, I mean, come on, I, I'm not experiencing heaven. I'm not experiencing heaven. This, I, I, you know, I mean, I've got lack, I've got sickness, thing, I've got things going on in my body. I've got, I've got circumstances. I've got circumstances in, in my, in my, in my life. Well, what this is saying is don't agree with that. Don't agree with that. So, since when have circumstances defined the truth? What, what do, do, do circumstance, how do circumstances define what is true? Like, I, you know, you have no money in your bank account, so therefore you're poor. Now, I get that's what we're taught, right? I have sickness in my body, so therefore I'm sick. I have symptoms in my body, therefore I'm sick. I get that this is, I mean, this is, this is not only what we're taught. This is sane. Okay, this is what the sane mind believes. Like for you to say, I have no money in my bank account, but I'm not broke, is like your delusion. They think that's the delusion, right? It's a delusional. See, this is where you, you have to kind of go there first because the truth is you're not a sinner. You do not have a sin nature. Now, are, are you manifesting sin? Well, in the same way, if you look at your bank account, I mean, does your bank account define your net worth? Do do symptoms in your body or a doctor's diagnosis define who you are? To the two, no, no. You are you are a saint. You don't have a sin nature because the Bible said the, the, the gospel says he became sin. The sin nature, the Adam's nature, was absorbed on the cross. He was the last Adam. There is no more Adam. Now, I mean, I, I, the, the ramifications of this, I'm telling you, are so far-reaching. They are so far-reaching that, honestly, it's like you don't even know if you want to go there sometimes. Because at some point, you have to repent and maybe believe that maybe the version of the gospel that I have been preaching is maybe not necessarily all good news. Because maybe there's a human effort involved in this, or maybe there's something that wasn't finished that we've got to do. Maybe there is a, you've got to clean yourself up a little bit, or you've got to, you know, I mean, 
you know, it, it's, it's, but it's just, it's, it's, I'm just saying the ramifications to what Jesus accomplished on the cross to hum, for humanity, for creation, for the natural realm, for reality are so incredibly complete, complete. And we are in a process of learning the truth. You know, repentance is just, you know, believing the gospel. It's just repenting and coming to agreement with the good news that Jesus, you completed it. And you completed it without my permission. You completed it without my participation. You completed it before I even knew I needed it. I was loved before I even knew what love was. And, you know, this changes the way we see people that don't know Jesus. And I personally can tell you it has humbled me. It has humbled me because it, in the church we don't recognize the religious pride that we operate in. And we don't recognize how much we make it us versus them. And how much secret satisfaction we get out of that. I'm being honest. Uh, because just because someone doesn't know it. And maybe they're completely deceived. Maybe they believe God's in a tree. You know, maybe they believe, God knows what they believe. God knows what they believe. I mean, Paul was preaching to, to the unknown God. You know, this is the unknown God. you got a monument over here to the unknown God. What? You don't know him. You know, I remember, you know, I grew up. I grew up in, in I, you know, I was preached the gospel in a very traditional way. It was an afterlife message. Jesus died for your sins so that you would go to heaven. And when you die, you're not going to burn forever in hell. Because you believe in Jesus. So no burning for you, mansions for you. Okay? Got a mansion just over the hilltop In that great land where you'll never grow old And someday yonder I mean, you know, right? Well, never more wander, but walk the streets that are pure as, I mean, you know, just pure as gold. I mean, you know, it's, it's, and that was the gospel. I mean, I was scared out of hell. I was scared not to believe in Jesus. Did you, I mean, it's hell or Jesus. Choose. Choose it. Burn forever. Or choose Jesus. I mean, even to a little kid, which is what I was, that was not good news. <laughs> you know, that did not bring, and, and then think about it, it's programmed into I know Jesus, so everybody else is going to hell. And I'm going to be motivated to tell you about God so that you don't go to hell. And truthfully, if we actually believed this, what kind of horrible people are we that we are not literally preaching the gospel 24-7 because everyone around us is burning forever if they don't know Jesus? 
you know, and you don't start, you don't realize, you know, I, I know for me, I mean, it was, I mean, I, it has been decades of undoing the distortions that that planted into my heart about who God was. And decades of undoing distortions in my heart of who that made me. See, Christians aren't taught, we're not, we, self-love is selfish in the church. Like somehow we believe that God has a poor relationship with himself. You know, and it's, it's just so, it just, there's so many distortions that come out of this wrong foundation of what the gospel really was, which, which was about Jesus becoming a human being. It's about the incarnation of God and about God shedding his blood on the cross because it was the only thing that could express the value of humanity. God's blood died for sinners. God's blood died. I mean, God's blood was shed for sinners. It was shed for people that did not know him. Shed for people that had misjudged him. Shed for people that crucified him. Shed for a world that did not know love. And the only way to express it, the ultimate expression of God's love was the cross. And love ascribed worth. It ascribed worth to every human being that had ever lived, that will ever live, whether they know him, whether they don't, whether they reject him, whether they crucify him. God's opinion is settled about the human race. God's, God's opinion is settled about every single color, every single race, every, the Muslims, the, 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 everyone, everyone. The LBGTs, everyone, he is, he is, his opinion is settled. You are, and they're reconciled to him from his perspective. From his perspective. He, he removed separation. Why? He became one on the cross with sin. He became one on the cross with all of humanity's depravity. He became poverty. He became Death. He defeated death. He defeated Satan. He defeated the enemy. He defeated the curse. He absorbed it. And it's not just for those of us that believe. Now, granted, if you don't believe it, you're not going to experience it. You're sure as heck. It's like being an orphan Annie. And I got, or, you know, I got Daddy Warbucks. I've got $20 million, $20 billion in the bank, but I'm, I'm an orphan over here. I don't know who my daddy is. I've never met my daddy. I don't even know the story of my birth. Because see, there's, I don't know. I didn't know. I didn't know there was a recreation that happened in Jesus. I didn't know that, that I was, I didn't even know I was lost. I didn't know anything. I was lying in darkness, deceived, under the God of this world, just completely depraved in my understanding. And when you hear the gospel, that's not when Jesus did it for you. 
Jesus didn't, he's not crucified for you when you hear about it. Right? You, you just experience it when you hear about it. <laughs> you, you just wake up to the reality that you are a child of God. You wake up to the reality that you have a father who loves you so much. And, you know, then we have all these doctrines about how, you know, somehow the father was punishing Jesus. When, well, if, again, without union, the atonement has all kinds of mess around it. If Jesus was one with the father, he was always one with the father. I love that. And, you know, people have been in such uproar about the shack and stuff because it doesn't fit into the nice little doctrinal evangelical boxes of Western Christianity. And guess what? Christianity existed a whole lot longer than America. And God forbid we actually read church fathers and we go back and read what church history. We don't, we're not even taught to do that. We're taught to be afraid to question anything. We are taught to fear our own journey with the Holy Spirit because it's, everything's heresy. We can't even disagree with one another without being a heretic. And we are a laughingstock to the world because of it. You know, I love, I have a, a friend that talks about this idea of pop Christianity versus academic Christianity. Because theologians from all denom, you know, just these are people that are, these are people that are way smarter than me. Okay, they're smart. They know the Hebrew. They know the Greek. They are studying ancient scrolls. These people are smart. And you know what they do? They love to sit down over coffee and just debate. Let's just debate. Well, you believe it? I believe it. We're just going to debate it, debate it, debate it. And then you know what they do? Let me get your coffee. No, let me get your coffee. All right, I'll see you next Thursday. And then they go off and they're just the best of friends. Why? You know, why is that? But, it, you know, it, it, this pop Christianity is that we have all of these, like we're not even allowed to have different opinions. Like, I'm right, you're wrong. I'm right, you're wrong. Well, what relationship ever works based on that foundation? We are called to love, not be right. Amen. We are called to love, not be right. Because I'll tell you what, if we had to be right, then none of us would be in relationship with God. Because compared to God, we're all wrong in some area of our life. But God calls us, and am I saying that we don't need doctrines? And I mean, all of us have a theology. Theology is knowledge of God. And we need to follow our own conscience. And we, I'm not saying we have to, that there isn't a right and wrong. I'm saying the fundamental of Jesus crucified, that's what, that's what Paul said. Paul said the more he got, the more he learned, the more he brought it down to one point. Christ crucified. Christ crucified. Christ crucified. And we divide over so many other points. Now, I mean, I'm guilty of it. I'm not, I'm not saying that I, this is a journey that I have been on to, to experience the heart of God for people. To experience the heart of God for people. And somehow in the midst of being right, that gets lost. It gets lost. And truthfully, what it is, it's fear. I say this all the time. Facebook is just one big trigger. It's just Christians getting (laughs) triggered. I mean, you just get on Facebook and it's just one trigger, 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 trigger. And they're arguing, they're triggered, you know, they don't even know they're triggered. You know, it's like, it's like a mental health crisis. And, and we're not even aware of it, you know. <laughs> and I love the Lord because he loves us anyway. 
He's, he's so much even bigger than that, you know? But I, 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 I know I kind of went a lot of different ways, but here's the thing. Until we really get the goodness of God and in, in the person of Jesus and the purpose of Jesus, which was to bring us into union with him and to undo the separation that happened at the fall. And think about what happened at the fall. I mean, the image of God was completely distorted. They went from being naked and unashamed to being ashamed of themselves. So now I'm ashamed of myself. I'm scared of him. I'm scared of him. I'm ashamed of myself. And I'm now going to try and cover my shame myself. So I'm going to hide from the presence of God. I'm going to separate myself, separate myself from God. And I'm going to take on the job of covering myself, protecting myself, taking care of myself, right? And so Jesus came to undo that. It's like he came back. It was like Adam and Eve were there, and he scooped them back up and put them inside of him and covered their shame with his righteousness. Not just covered it, redeemed it eradicated it, <laughs> doesn't exist anymore because it, it was just inside of Jesus. You know, and that's what he, 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 un, he, put, he put us in him. And, you know, when you, again, gosh, praying for the sick from a place of union with God where it's no longer your hands, it's his hands. You know, and I tell the story, if you're at Crowder, you hear me talk again, I, I, tell, I say it a lot. But, you know, I'm kind of like Paul in the sense that, you know, I, I learned this message of union through revelation. And then it's like I found that it, it was actually in the Bible. You know, like it's like when I say that, I mean, I was a prayer minister at a huge, huge church. And I just, I was, you know, I was just, I was, I was so self-focused. Like, I hope I have something to give these people when they come and pray for me. You know, it's like you're almost praying to be anointed. You're, you're, you know, and then there's the whole revival. Of me. You're trying to get more from God. And you're, you know, and, and you're, you're, just, you're just exhausted trying to do the works of Jesus. And I think the Holy Spirit just got tired, if he could, and was like, you just need to, to meditate on Colossians uh, 128 for a year. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then the next year, he's like, now I want you to meditate on Ephesians 2.8. You're seated in heavenly places in Christ. And I just begin, he's like, I want you to stand in front of the mirror until you can actually see Christ in you. You know, I didn't even know about anything like that. Like, you know, imagine, I didn't know any of these things. And then when I start to kind of see it, he's like, well, now you need to go to Revelation chapter 1 because I'm not just a fisherman by Galilee anymore, you know, fishing in the Sea of Galilee anymore. I'm not just a, a carpenter, you know. He's like, no, 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 I, I'm, I, I call it scary Jesus, you know. I, I, I'm, I'm Revelation 1. I've got hair white like wool. I've got eyes like fire. I've got a face like sh- I'm just shining like the sun. I've got feet like bronze. That's who inside, is inside of you, right? And so the, the, a supernatural ministry was birthed out of a revelation with, I mean, out of a revelation with union. You know, you begin to lay hands on the sick like he actually is in you. You know, you begin to speak to mountains like they, he, they actually might move. Because it's not you. 
It's Christ in you. You begin to hear his voice, you know, because it's not a roller coaster ride of you doing everything right and messing up yesterday. That your righteousness is not based on your performance. That it's actually based on a finished work of Jesus. And so you can sit down with your journal and be like, Daddy, I know I messed up yesterday, but you know, hey, good thing you don't jump out when I mess up. (laughs) And then I got to repent so you can jump back in. You know? No, it's a finished work. It's a finished union. You know, and it just takes that pressure off of your relationship, you know, because you can, I mean, you know, if he knows the thoughts you think before you think them and the words you speak before you speak them, I mean, he knows the root of every reason why you do any, every single thing that you do. You're not a surprise to him. You're a surprise to yourself, you know? And so you can, and he has no problem. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, in the church, you know, we, we want to keep all the manifestation of sin down because we think if, they, if people are, the behavior's right, the heart is right. We think that's freedom. You know, and, 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 and truthfully, a safe place, a safe, the church should be the safest place on the world for people's crap to come up. Like somehow God's intimidated by our unrenewed minds. Like he's intimidated by our behaviors that are sprouting out of lies that we believe about ourselves and about him or something. And that we have to hide. We have to hide. We're, we're still like we got to go and cover ourselves in fig leaves. Because, you know, we're, we're, you know what I'm saying? There's just things that kind of come out of that because we, as people, relate to other people based on their performance. So our relationships with others are based upon their performance, right? And so it just is a, it's like a, whew. I love it when, when the Apostle Paul and, you know, like Romans 7 is like, who can save me from this body of death? You know, it's like, who can save us from this crazy performance will? Right. You know, thank God, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. You know, even people preach like the Romans 7 is our experience. You know, no, Romans 7 is what it's like to live under the law. It's what it's like to live under, under, under performance. You can never do enough. And when you want to do the right thing, you don't do the right thing. And then you try to stop doing the wrong thing, and next thing you know, you can't help but doing the wrong thing. It's just, it's a, it's a, yeah, I mean, the strength of sin, the strength of failure is in performance. I mean, it's in law. It's in legalism. I mean, it is, and, and only Jesus can just eradicate, just eradicate our, you know, our relationship to performance. And the way he did that, he did it a specific way. He did it by putting us in him. And if you're, I mean, if you're in God, who do you have to perform for? You're performing for him? Well, that's silly because you're already in him. Are you, if you're you, performing to get in him? Well, you're already in him. Performing to be accepted by him? Well, you're, accept, you're already in him. You know, you don't have to perform anymore. You don't have to perform. You don't have to perform. And it's only when you don't have to perform that now you can come out of a place of pure motives. You know, if you're performing to be something that you already are, you know, it's, 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 you know, it's like a dog chasing your tail, you know, it's, it's just a cycle of futility, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and even, yeah. 
I mean, all of that, you know, all of that is just, it, can, it really, the root there is separation from the Lord. You know, and so this summer, we have been really going after, because I, I, I even started the summer series, you know, if you know a little bit about it. I mean, I, I led a church here in Woodland Park for seven years, and, uh, you know, I never thought when I moved to, to Woodland Park, I would ever lead a church. You know, I was never called to that. I mean, I just, that was like the furthest thing in my mind. You know, it was like, I, I looked around to see who God was talking to, you know, when he was like plant a church in Woodland Park, right? Because I just never had seen myself that way. And um, there's a lot of reasons that we had that, that season. I mean, from connections and things he did in people's lives, you know, to lots of things God did in those seven years. Uh, and lots of things he did in me and lots of things that he, uh, lots of purposes were fulfilled in that season. Uh, but, you know, that was last, it's, all, it's been a year. It'll be a year this weekend, actually, that we, uh, that we released the church. And, you know, I really wasn't even doing weekly meetings. We were focusing on Emerge and doing some of those things and getting the media ministry going and things like that. And, but coming into the summer in May, I felt like the Lord... Uh, wanted to begin a weekly meeting. Primarily, there was a, there was some, some, I feel like there's been some giants in our lives. I mean, just things that have tormented us, things that have, uh, just, just have held on, you know, whether that be a sickness, whether that be uh, whatever it might be, uh, just, just uh, fear, you know, it could be anything, really. And I just felt like the Lord was saying, well, this way, you know, he said this specifically, we're just not anointed to run from giants. We're anointed to chop their heads off. We're anointed to take out giants. <laughs> I mean, we're anointed to, to possess the promised land. We're anointed to manifest the kingdom. We're anointed for the victory. We're anointed... You know, we're anoint the manifestation of heaven on earth. If we aren't, what am I trying to say? If not us, then who? If heaven is not going to be released through our lives and the, the nature of God and the goodness of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ is not going to be released through our lives, well, then who? <laughs> and so I just felt like they, that, that we needed to just honestly just go frontal. You know, just just straight up like David, you know, put me in, coach, you know, you know, and just just look intimidation in the face and, and, and get grounded in what belongs to us and who we are and watch watch all of that fall off, you know, just as we pursued it together, you know, and. I've been, you know, and, and here's the thing, you know, I taught, I've taught a lot on Mark 11, uh, 24 that says, whatsoever things you desire in prayer, believe you receive them and you shall have them. And, and the bottom line, I think, for really even what I've been preaching today, I mean tonight, just, just that it is finished, the whole, the whole theme of the summer, all of it, is that we already are what we think we're not. 
And the only reason it doesn't manifest in our lives is because we believe that we're not. And that scripture, Mark eleven twenty four, like for example, Jessica, like with you believing for the restoration of your marriage, I mean, at some point you just have to receive that it's restored. Not because on, you know, July 28th, 2017, it looks like it's restored. It's just because it is. And then, of course, as you believe that it is, you know, maybe it's August 31st that it gets, you know, I don't know. Uh, and how do I know this? I don't know this just because Mark 11:24 says that. There's, there, there's a receipt, there's a believing that you have it. The believing that, it's, that you have it is, the, is what is the manifest, it's the key to the manifestation of it. Do, do, do you know what I'm saying? Like you, you can't, if you're constantly trying to get something you already have, you can't get what you already have. If I have the, you know, the, my phone in my hand, I can't, I can't receive my phone. Give me my phone, God. Give me my phone, God. Give me my phone, God. Why won't you give me my phone, God? And he's like, you already have your phone. No, I don't. You know why we think we don't? It's because it's invisible. And we think that it's not real until it's physical. But from God's perspective, the spiritual is more real than the physical. Because the spiritual is eternal. Right? And so the gospel is about believing who God has already made you to be. And prayer is just simply, to me, it's, it's, why, it's why Paul didn't pray for them to receive a bunch of stuff. He said, just granted to them a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. Right? And enlighten the eyes of their understanding can they, so they can know the hope of their calling. Enlighten their eyes. You know, give them understanding of what you've accomplished, Jesus. And it's, you know, it is totally backwards from the way that we're taught to talk, from the way that we're taught to think. I mean, truthfully, we're not getting closer to God. We're awakening to the closeness that already is one. Right? We're not, uh, does, that, does that make sense? We're not, and I get this, it's difficult. I mean, I pray with people, you know, I have all kinds of prayer projects that, I, that I'm praying with people right now on, you know, and they're, they're, the, the doctor's diagnoses are real. I'm not, I'm not saying that they're not, like we're, we're denying them. Like that's just not real. I'm not saying it's not, I'm, it is real. It, it's very real. Your pain is real. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not denying that you are in pain. I'm not denying that you have a, a disease that's operating in your body. What I am denying is it's right to be there. I'm denying uh, that I'm denying that it ha- that it has more authority than what Jesus accomplished on the cross. I'm denying the idea that you are not living in heaven right this moment, and that you know I said so we're, we're you're and you've you're I'm I'm helping you live from that reality, and I'm rebuking it because it's an illegal trespasser because you've been redeemed. You are one with God, and I know it. 
So go. Does that make sense? So it's, it's, it's interesting. So sometimes it's kind of, to me, it's like a brain teaser, you know, because we've just been so indoctrinated with this idea that we're trying to get something or that even, you know, and that's why I feel like we focus so much this, this summer on Mark eleven twenty four because it's a great scripture that talks about believing that you have received it and that you will have it. You know, Mark eleven twenty three is all about, you know, when you say something, believe what you say and you'll have it. Yeah, these are just very simple ways. They're simple ways that the sons of God think when we're thinking with the mind of Christ. And we're just so indoctrinated with it because the whole world lives this way. And so we, we believe circumstances are true. But as he, yes, that's right. So this, the foundation, so my, my point to you tonight is just this foundation, this foundation of union and living from that in your relationship with God, living from that union in your prayer life when you worship God. I mean, when I train worship teams, we aren't, we aren't ushering people into the presence of God, right? We're stepping into Christ and we are worshiping God from the inside out. And we are, we are singing as one with God. And I love that. I mean, you know, I love that, that you know, and then the, the places that, that you can go from there and the ministry that you get from that place. And I'm not, I'm not, thank God we're even going into the presence of God. So it's not to, to you know, make fun of or demean where people are. There's just another foundation. There, there's a, a foundation of intimacy with him that is unshakable. Amen. Well, Lord, as we just kind of wrap things up tonight, I, I thank you that uh, you're just going to continue speaking. I thank you that you are going to uh, breathe oh, just refreshment over us and uh, just continue to astound us with how faithful and kind and gentle and good and powerful (laughs) you are. Oh, Lord, I do release a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. And I declare, yes, that the eyes of our understanding are enlightened and we know the hope of our calling. I thank you that we will abide in the vine. We will rest in you. And we will let you do the work. We will let you do the work. Father, I pray for grace to rest. Grace to only do what you are asking us to do to just walk in the spirit (laughs) moment by moment, moment by moment saying, what's next, Papa? (laughs) Living life like an adventure and expecting heaven to manifest. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.